We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful friends. Yes, relationships. I think they're the most important learning opportunities we have in our lives. And many would agree that love is the holy grail of this human experience. Loving relationships are we can really experience connection, fulfillment, and our greatest joy. But what happens when we lose the person or people we care about the most through death? The pain can linger for years and may never go away completely. How do we heal our hurt and how can we move forward in our lives? Today, we're going to talk about love, loss, and how to find happiness after the anguish of tragedy. Here to have this very important conversation is my expert, Lucinda Bassett. For 25 years, Lucinda Bassett was an internationally acclaimed self-help guru. As the founder of the multi-million dollar business, the Midwest Center for Stress and Anxiety, Lucinda shared her tips on managing anxiety, stress, and depression in her best-selling books, The Solution, From Panic to Power, and Life Without Limits. By everyone's standards, Lucinda was living the American dream. She was blessed with an adoring husband, a blissful marriage, a thriving business, two great children, and a beautiful home in Malibu. However, she was not immune to tragedy. In a short amount of time, Lucinda experienced the pain of losing her brother and father to alcoholism, then her inspiring and supportive big sister, Donna, to cancer, and then she lost her mother. Lucinda was finally brought to her knees when she received the shocking news that her husband, best friend, business partner, the love of her life, and her children's devoted father, David Bassett, when he had committed suicide. Lucinda's fulfilling lifelong and successful life were forever altered as she she and her children were left mentally, emotionally, and financially devastated. In her latest book, Truth Be Told, a memoir of success, suicide, and survival, Lucinda shares the unvarnished truth of her past secret traumas and her husband's suicide with candor, courage, and unflinching authenticity. Lucinda's intention is to offer hope and a guiding light to anyone struggling to recover from life-altering setbacks, crushing blows, extreme tragedy, and help them to find comfort, discover their own hidden strengths, restore their lives, and finally claim peace and happiness. So Lucinda, thank you so much for being here on Empower Radio today. Thank you. Boy, you really uh, told the story well there. (laughs) I'm Uh, astonished by your story. The more I read about you, the more layers I experienced of you and your process. I mean, my heart just broke open for you over and over and over. And I'm, I'm just honored to be having this conversation with you. Thank you. Well, you know, the, um, the book is a very powerful book for the people that have read it. The reviews are, are, are pretty good and it's, uh, it's extremely intimate, very candid. And, uh, the collaborators that I worked with on the book, I write my own books, but I, with this particular book, I needed someone to sit with me yes. and just, you know, help me because it was so intense, and uh, they and they were just shocked with every new chapter. And I said, "You've done a lot of <clears throat> uh, memoirs. I, haven't you heard this before?" And they said, "No, your story is one of the most compelling stories we've ever done." And I was really blown away by that. And and you know, I I started the book with the story of the third anniversary of David's death when 
I wanted to do something. I'd, I'd put a bench in a park and I wanted to go, I don't want to say celebrate because that's certainly not the right word, but just remember him on the day of his death. And my children wouldn't even talk about it, let alone go to the bench. And so, uh, and as far as remembering his birthdays, they wouldn't do that up until this final year or year four. And the thing that's so awful about a suicide is it just hangs there and, Mm -hmm. and it just, it just, you know, permeates you, your house, your life, your family. Um, nothing will ever, ever be the same again. And, I used to love the holidays and birthdays, and I, I mean, I love our family home, and it was all, I hate to say it, ruined. I mean, for lack of better words, and I, I managed to bring it back, and I managed to to fix our fractured family as best I could, but there will always be a hole there, and if he would have died of cancer or in a car accident, it would have been so much different. We would have missed him and talked about him and remembered him lovingly. But when someone takes themselves away from you, when they choose to leave you, and they do it in a horrifying way, and there's no way that's not horrifying, then it's so bittersweet. You can't even look at their pictures. You can't sit and reminisce about them. It's hard to remember the good times because what they it's almost like rape. It's, it's a violent act toward the people that are left behind, who are the survivors, who are the victims. It is. It's heartbreaking. And I, I love that you're bringing this conversation to the forefront because it, it can be so confusing, the guilt associated with it and the anger. Um, right. I experienced the suicide of my very best friend. And oh. it, it was so complex to walk through this. And I read something that was fascinating. It's like the anger that's associated with suicide because the person that you loved was not just the person that you lost and that died, but they were also the murderer of the person that you loved. That's exactly right. And they, and they took themselves from you. And it's like, especially, and losing your best friend would be horrific, but for, and for me to lose my husband and my partner, someone I trusted with my life and our finances and my family's hearts was horrific. But for my son and my daughter to lose their dad, for my husband to walk out on his children like that as if they weren't enough, you know, it's unforgivable. And, and yet, you know, when you first go through it, you're so overwhelmed and devastated. I was so anxious and I suffered with anxiety and depression when I was younger, and that, that's what I did my whole life, is I, I treated people for anxiety and depression. I was a self-help expert in anxiety and depression. But wow, I was so unprepared for when he took his life. When they pulled into my driveway and said, we found your husband, he shot himself up in the hill, I, I went into a state of shock. I started screaming. I started kicking the police officer, screaming, no, 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 you're lying. I couldn't even begin to get my head around that this gentle, loving man who used to wouldn't even have dreamed of letting me go down the driveway without checking the air in my tires. I mean, it was that he took care of us. He was a caregiver. He was a giver that he would go and, and kill himself and leave me with two children without a father and with all of the mess that he thought he had created in our lives financially. And, and that's all part of the illness. You know, they, Typically, when someone kills themselves, they have a history of either bipolar or depression, mm-hmm. sometimes schizophrenia, 
and there could be a genetic predisposition in the family for suicide, certainly depression or bipolar. And then they may not even, they might have episodes of bipolar or mania or depression in their life, but then a set of circumstances happens and it's extremely difficult for them to cope. And that's when, that's when these symptoms become very, very apparent. And that's when this vicious cycle of mental illness begins. Mm. Yeah. And, and it seems like when somebody dies, we're never, ever prepared, but I don't know if you can be less prepared for somebody transitioning than, than suicide. It really is just this, this bizarre, incomprehensible experience. Well, Number one, if someone dies suddenly in any experience, it's, it's very difficult because you didn't get to say goodbye and you yes. didn't, you know, all of those, the same reasons. But when someone takes their life to suicide, not only did you not get to say goodbye, you feel guilty. Like, what did yes. I do that might have caught, what should I have done differently? And yes. you, you, you feel ashamed. There's such shame. And that is a huge reason why I wrote this book. Yes. I wanted to step out of the closet and I, I tell all these stories in the book, but, you know, the book's not really about suicide. Only the last two to three chapters touch on that. The book is this incredible story of this poor little girl who grew up by a railroad track who was sexually molested and, and had a vicious alcoholic father and ended up becoming a very successful, powerful businesswoman and then met this lovely man and there's an incredible love story. And then at the end of the book, I talk about his suicide and and so the, the the book is a very very inspirational, I think can't can't put down read. But getting back to the the suicide issue, when I finally, after about three years, decided because at first when somebody would say, "Well, how'd your husband die?" They didn't know me. I would say it's heart related, because I was too embarrassed to say suicide, and my children did the same thing, and we were even advised by our therapist to do that. But when I finally stood up about three years later at an at a meeting where I didn't know anyone a vision board meeting of all things. And I told people who I was. And then I took a deep breath and said, three years ago, my husband took his life. And there was just this, and, and I told my story. And when I was done, and there were probably 75 people there, I was surrounded by people pulling me aside, whispering to me, my dad committed suicide or my girlfriend committed suicide or my sister committed. And they were all whispering like it's some dirty secret. Mm-hmm. We were all ashamed. And I, right then in that moment, I knew if I ever got through the tunnel, I had to come out and share this with others so that people who have been left behind don't go around with their heads hung down, living in shame with this dark, ugly cloud of suicide. It's not right. No, and, and I love I love your intention and your courage. And your book really does make people laugh and cry and it can motivate and inspire and it can help heal our hurts. And, and you know, I know Kenny Loggins uh, was a big fan of your book and he says, um, Linda Bassett's life journey will inspire others to move beyond extreme pain and find peace again. I recommend this book to anyone who has experienced loss and heartbreak. And that would be just about everyone. Right. And and the point of that is this book is not just for someone who's experienced suicide. Truth be told is for anybody. Actually, it's for anybody. But, you know, if you (laughs) if you're someone who grew up poor, if you grew up with an alcoholic parent, 
if you're someone who has experienced challenge, change, or loss in the past four years or in a lifetime. And a lot of people have gone through very difficult times in the past four years. And so this book is just, it's an inspiration to anyone who's been through anything difficult and challenging. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the book, I talk about going being sexually molested as a child. And, and this is something I never talked about to anyone. And, and when I was going through therapy for David, my therapist said, were you ever sexually molested? And I took a breath and I said, why do you ask? And he said, because you have some of the symptoms. And I said, I was, but I've never talked about it. And so I decided that with this book, I wanted to tell the story of my life. I wanted to tell the story of this little seven to nine year old girl and what I went through and this dark, ugly secret that haunted me. And that was all, all about guilt, blame, anger, and shame. And then my father and his alcoholism and his verbal abuse, and that was all about guilt, blame, and anger, and shame. When you, when you grow up in a family with a violent alcoholic, and then I ended up with an adult, as an adult with panic attacks and serious depression, and I thought much of that was associated to the, uh, the alcoholism, and it was really associated to the uh, sexual abuse. But then I turn around, and at 52, my husband takes his life. And, and the hard thing about that, Tammy, was that there I was, Lucinda Bassett, you know, the anxiety expert, and my husband, David, commits suicide. And, and what people didn't know is for a year and a half to two years, while he was struggling with bipolar disorder, there I was doing TV and radio, and my husband was in a, a, a psych ward at a hospital. It was an absolutely horrific time in my life. And my doctor, I lost 30 pounds. I couldn't eat. My son couldn't go to school. When someone in your home is severely mentally and emotionally disabled, the whole house goes crazy. You, you can yes. feel the energy of the craziness in the house, and it permeates the house, and it's so unstable, and it makes you all anxious. And, you know, it was, it was an absolute nightmarish way to live. And then after he died, the recovery process for me was excruciating, and all of my old symptoms of anxiety and depression came rumbling back much heavier than they ever had been in my life. Wow. And it sounds like it was just really an opportunity to, to go deeper and really open up the closets to every dark aspect, every secret in, in your life and in your psyche. I mean, it's uh, really going into those dark, dark places and, and, and bringing love and compassion into them. And I think that is what heals us. So yeah, that's that's what we would call a really intense curriculum. Well, I mean, the bottom that's line is, profound. you know, I wrote the book in honor of David's memory, and I wrote the book in, in honor of my children so that they could remember what a great father he was because he was mm-hmm. a great man. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the book for people who've been through the loss of a loved one to, for, to, to suicide so that mm-hmm. they can see that, yes, you can get through this. And in fact, I have a five-step process that I that I went through <clears throat> and I'm going to be doing a free seminar this Saturday um, for people who want to go to the website on uh, moving through the process of grief through challenge, change, and loss. And, and, you can, and what is your website, Lucinda? If people want to get a hold of you, like, I need this book, I need more of Lucinda, where well, do they find you? The website is lucindabassett-truthbetold.com, and you need to put the hyphen in there. And you can get the book through my website or through Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And it's Truth Be Told, A Memoir of Success, Suicide, and Survival. And it is, it's is—it's a book that you will not be able to put down. And you will go away from that book 
I think, very moved and very, very inspired. And if you've been through anything difficult, especially the loss of a loved one, the book will help you to really see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, yes. I was surprised. I was astonished, actually, to to read that the number one cause of death in the United States is suicide. Well, the number one cause of death in the military is suicide. It, I think suicide is actually one of the top four, and it depends on the age category, but the number one cause of death in men over 65 is suicide. And uh, and they're finding that the stats on... on uh, I wouldn't be surprised the number one cause of death since the recession in men over the age of 50 is also suicide because what the findings are is that since the recession... Suicide has gone up. The rate of suicide has gone up by four. There are four suicides per hour, and yet um, our government has cut mental health funding by 1.8 billion dollars since 2009. So what that means, as as a person who struggles with someone with mental illness, is and this is what happened to me. There is nowhere to go for help. The, the, the health in, health insurance coverage is minimal at best, if you even have it. If you do have it, it's minimal. They will not put them in the hospital unless they are dangerous to themselves or dangerous to others. By that, I mean if they attempt suicide, then if they don't do it, they'll put them in the hospital. If you say, but they're talking about suicide, they usually in the hospital. It's extremely difficult to get someone hospitalized. And now, you know, if they go out and shoot people and they're still alive, they'll put them away. Um, but it's, it's, it's just unbelievable how broken our system is when it comes to helping people who are mentally ill. 90% of people that commit suicide suffer from depression, bipolar disorder, or a minority of schizophrenic. And the thing is, depression and bipolar disorder can be treated. But the only way someone like that is going to get help is they have to go into a program for six months to a year and be medicated properly. And it takes a month to see if that medication is going to work. And usually they give them more than one. And then they need ongoing intense therapy. And I believe if that kind of help were available in our country today, David would still be alive and um, Mindy McCready would still be alive. I think those 35 kindergartners would still be alive. The woman that jumped off the bridge in New York City would still be alive. It ends up costing our country much more by not treating the mentally ill than it would if we, if we actually treated them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in absolute agreement with you. It is, it is broken. It's a heartbreaking um, situation. So again, this is part of the reason I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation, that you've had the courage to write this book, because it, it did have to be uh, quite, quite a challenge for you. So Lucinda, I'm, I'm curious, what would you like the readers to gain most from your story and from your book, Truth Be Told? Well, I think the most important thing is to understand that if you had someone in your life take their life, you're not to blame. There's nothing you did. It's not your fault. Because that is the, you start really rolling it over in your mind. You know, and I don't care what happened. You know, no one kills themselves unless they're mentally ill. And then usually there is, you know, uh, there are outside stressors that take place that create it that, that are most often self-imposed. And they're probably on the wrong medications or they're not on medication and it's not you, so stop blaming yourself. And then the other thing is, you have a right to be happy again. You have a right to get on with your life. You have a right to fix your family, and you need therapy, and your kids need therapy. Suicide is severe trauma, and if you or someone you love found the person that took their life, that is trauma at its greatest source. 
<clears throat> my daughter found her her dad. He he had taken his life up in the mountains, and I went looking for him with my his, his friend and couldn't find him. And my daughter drove right to where he was. And that night we were lying there holding each other, trembling. She said, why did I find him? And the only thing I could think of is I had read somewhere, ironically, that when people die um, and they die with the suicide, their souls linger and they just they don't move on. And I said, I believe he brought you to him so that he didn't die alone. You were there when he passed over. And I'm sorry you had to be there, but I think he knows you were the strongest and he really loved you. And Brittany, he didn't die alone. And in some weird way, I think that gave her some peace. And I think the people that find these people are tortured. And if they could look at it in a different light and say, maybe, just maybe my mom brought me to her or maybe my dad brought me there for a reason. And and so, you know, there, there's really nothing pretty or good about suicide. It's tragic. It's horrific. It's a selfish, heinous, ugly act. It leaves the survivors, you know, holding the pain of the, of the person who killed themselves for the rest of their lives. There's a void there's 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 an ugly um secret to bear if they if they keep it that way and and it's it's not something you can just you know shove in a closet and forget it's a legacy you leave your children and you wonder don't these people think about that before they take their life the answer is no no, they're, they're so, so wrapped up in their own hurt, their yeah, pain, just, their dysfunction mm-hmm. well not only that you know by now by the time they get to the point of suicide they think nobody cares about them anymore, mm-hmm. and everybody's sick of hearing it, and nobody yes. believes them because not by now, they often they've gotten paranoid, and they think everybody's talking about them, everybody hates them, everybody's out to get them. Um, David got to that point. He thought there was a conspiracy, and someone was trying to steal our company, and they are so distorted in their thinking, yes. and then they're put on these antipsychotics, and then they're really a wreck, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's extremely difficult to help them. That's why the system is broken the way that it is. Yeah, I would agree. You know, years ago, um, I, I struggled with intense depression and anxiety and I, I fantasized about suicide and I did talk to my mother about it. And she said, that is the most selfish thing you could ever do. And I could not comprehend that because I really perceived myself as a burden and who would love me and who would, right. nobody would right. miss me. I, I kind of get it on both sides of it. Thank goodness. Right. I, I, I had at least a lucid moment where I, I reached my hand out to um, a therapist and found found my way through um, University of Santa Monica. It helped me find my way back to the light. But I I can understand it. And no, they can't see. They can't see beyond their own hurt and pain. No, because their as you said, they, they began to see themselves as a burden. Yes. And they began to think that everybody's tired of hearing them. Mm-hmm. And they can no longer handle their own depressive, obsessive thoughts. And my husband was so caught up in himself, and he had tried to take his life twice before. Fifty percent of the people that take their lives have tried before, and usually the second time they do succeed. And so, if someone is talking about suicide, you know, let's let's talk about some of the symptoms that you might see in a loved one, because there are very very clear symptoms of um, pre-suicide symptoms that you need to watch for. And if someone is becoming more and more withdrawn and they they are failing to take care of themselves, that's like take showers, take care of their makeup, their hair. If they don't want to go out, they're becoming antisocial. If they're becoming more and more um, antisocial and depressed, maybe they're becoming more agitated. If you see um, difficulty sleeping, uh, 
changes, weird changes in their behavior and their personality. If they are having these, if they say to you, you know, I'm really concerned, I think I want to take my life, I, I've been thinking about suicide, or if they start what we would say getting their, their, their life in order, these are all very big, big red flags that the person in your life needs help. And what do you do? Well, my recommendation is go to your family doctor first, because, and then you tell your family doctor you're worried about this person's uh, well-being and, and the, the issue of suicide, and then it's your family doctor's obligation to get you to a psychiatrist who specializes in suicide. The problem is if you go to any psychiatrist and say, I'm afraid my husband's going to kill himself, they may not want to see him because they don't want the liability. So, you know, you, you go to your psychologist, I'm sorry, your family doctor and ask for a psychiatrist who specializes in suicide. Of course, if, you know, if there's, you can always go to a hospital emergency room, but unless the person has attempted suicide, they probably won't take them in unless you are their legal guardian. So if it's a minor, they might. But if it's your husband, you're out of luck. And, and so you need to be very, very acutely aware. And then if you're lucky enough to get your husband or wife or teenager into a really good caregiver, then you have to be very, very involved in their care. And that means monitoring their medications, making sure they're taking their medication, watching their reaction, making sure the medication's actually working and not making them worse. And that sounds... It may be easy, but it's really hard. What it if it's your twenty-one? <laughs> it's not easy. What if it's your twenty-one-year-old son who lives away from home? You can't be sure he's taking his medication. You know, he, I mean, he's not living with you, and and it's very difficult to live with a bipolar twenty-one-year-old son. It, it's you know these poor parents whose whose kids end up buying a gun and going out and shooting 20 people. And then they look at the parents and say, what's wrong with you? Well, how do you know they didn't try just about everything to, to fix that 21-year-old? But there's no place to send them to be fixed. And that's the problem that, uh, that, we're, that we're really facing today. Yeah, it is. It really is a tragic, <clears throat> tragic situation. Again, this is such an important conversation that you're bringing this out into the forefront, I think is, is courageous and helpful and, and so incredibly powerful. So, Lucinda, I'm really, really curious because I think there are lessons in all things and maybe even especially the most painful situations in our life. What do you believe your most important lessons are from this, this devastating experience of Ben? Well, you know, the, the most, uh, there's so many of them, but um, two that come to mind right away. One is David and I were so close. My mom used to say, you're either with him or you're on the phone with him. And, and at the time, I thought I was the luckiest woman in the world. We were together for 25 years. He was my best friend. We worked together. We worked out of our home. We had a business in Ohio. We traveled together. We worked together. We cooked together. We walked together. He, we were each other's everything and, and with our children. But he was my other half. And if you're in a relationship like that, break away a little bit. Get out on your own. Learn to be by yourself. Go get some friends. Because it, it's not healthy. Because when he died, I I was... It was like my, the left side of my body was cut off. Right. I didn't know how to be by myself. I, I was scared to death to even sleep by myself. I, I couldn't be by myself. I couldn't eat by myself. I, I just couldn't function by myself because I was so used to having him right there with me all the time. I will never allow that to happen in my life again. I, I really have had to be more and learn to be, and I'm still struggling to be, by myself and independent. 
the other huge lesson is that David handled all of our finances. And ladies, if you're out there and you're letting your husband handle all your finances and you don't know how much money you've got in the bank and you don't know where your mortgage is and you don't know how to you know, pay bills and your name's not on everything, then it's your fault if something like this happens and you end up financially destitute. And that's what happened to me. I, I, he handled everything financially. So he had... He had loaned someone a bunch of money that we didn't have and second mortgaged our house and took out loans I didn't know about. And when he died, because I was not involved in our finances, I was in uh, an awful, nightmarish, horrific mess because I trusted him with all of our money and all of our financial decisions. So if you're listening, I would say if you're married, sit down the next couple of weeks and just tell your husband, hey, just in case anything would happen to you, you know, how do you pay the bills? How do you do that online? How much money's in which account? Where's our mortgage? You know, be financially equally responsible in your marriage. That's a huge lesson for me. And don't be so totally, solely dependent on your mate. You really do need to get more independent. Start going to the movie by yourself. Go out to eat by yourself once in a while. Go out with your friends. Because what if something happened to him or her and you had to be alone? And those were two really important lessons to me. And then the other one was that I had to allow myself to grieve, but I had to be strong for my kids. You know, I really had to pull it together for them because the the last thing they wanted to think is that I was going to go crazy and lose my mind after he lost his. Sure. So I, absolutely. Even, I would go to my friends and worry and worry and talk and talk and tell them I was, I mean, come on. I was someone who had panic and depression. I, I, I even, I thought, well, what if I do this? What if I kill myself? What if I can't handle it? He didn't think he could handle it. And he left it all with me to handle. And what if I can't handle it? But I would never have laid all that on my children because they needed to see that I was there and I wasn't leaving them. And so that was a very important lesson for me. And also, you know, to surround myself with people I could trust and people who who had also experienced loss and change. Some of my best girlfriends now, I didn't even know before David died. They're women who lost their husbands or went through divorce. One, her husband committed suicide. Other women who had been through challenge and change and loss who could, you know, help me understand the process and be there for me to talk to and and also, I'll tell you something else that a very important lesson is being a financially independent woman. I mean, thank God I had my career because we lost a lot and we almost went bankrupt as a result of the things that he did when he wasn't in his right mind. And luckily, I was able to save it and bring it back and save our home. And I mean, it's all in the book. It's an incredible story. And you know, I never gave up. And another really important lesson for me that I still practice to this day is I break things down. I take one thing at a time. It's, oh, I don't go, you know, I don't sit there and go, what if, what, if, what, if, what if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What am I going to do next month? What am I going to do in five years from now if this doesn't work out? What's the housing market? Go? It's like, I, I don't do that to myself anymore. I stay in the moment and I take one, I handle one, one thing at a one time. One step at a time. One yeah. thing at a time. I mean, when he first started, I, I mean, it was literally one minute at a time, one day at a time, and then one week at a time. You know, you don't have to make major decisions when you're going through trauma. Yes. You shouldn't make any major decisions when you're going through trauma. You shouldn't yeah. make any major changes in your life. You just need to get through the trauma. Breathe. And you've got to give yourself mm-hmm. time to get through to it. Heal. <clears throat> wow, Lucinda. All I can say is, wow, I'm just covered in goosebumps. And I'm so... um 
honored that we're going to be able to continue this conversation. We are going to go to break right now. When we come back, we are going to talk about the qualities of stress, anxiety, and depression. These are experiences that affect millions of people. But Lucinda Bassett says these painful and sometimes debilitating experiences do not have to be a life sentence. So hang on. We will be right back with more wisdom from Lucinda Bassett. Hang on. Later, much later, we heard something. We didn't breathe for listening. Then footsteps on the back porch, creeping, then more confident. After all, nobody was home. A hand closed on the knob on the screen door to the kitchen and found it latched. We heard a little sawing sound as a file began to slice through the screen wire. Grandma reached down for something in her sewing basket. Through the darkness, I managed to notice Grandma's rocker was rocking and she wasn't in it. She was standing over me. Keep just behind me, she whispered. I followed her across the room into the kitchen. Now we were by the door and I heard the scuffle of heavy feet in there on the crinkly linoleum. Grandma turned back to me. Under my nose, she struck a wooden match with her thumbnail. She touched the match to something in her other hand. It sizzled. Then she leaned down and rolled it into the invisible kitchen. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book A Long Way from Chicago by Richard Peck. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health problems? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. Share your story. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it. I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. Search online for stories that heal. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. Sassy! Sassy! This week's episode, Bobcat in the Cave. Gosh, Johnny! Playing in the cave sure is neat! Oh boy, a kitty cat! Sassy! The kitty cat's yelling! What, Sassy? It's not a kitty? It's a bobcat? Speaking of cats, do you like to stress the importance of adopting cats from animal shelters? Over 5 million cats go into animal shelters every year? And with millions of healthy cats to choose from, it's a shame more people don't adopt from shelters? This bobcat's heavy. Help, Sassy! Why bother? We'll just get into more trouble tomorrow? What's that supposed to mean? Oh, nuts. Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my friends. We have been having a heartbreaking, inspirational, authentic, powerful 
and healing conversation with Lucinda Bassett. She is an internationally acclaimed self-help guru, and we have been talking about her most recent book, her memoir, Truth Be Told, a memoir of success, suicide, and survival. So Lucinda, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here on Journey to Center. Uh, thank you. You know, I was reading um, uh, an article recently about Mindy McCready, the uh, country singer who shot herself in the chest, and it was uh, shortly after her <clears throat> fiancé had shot himself, and she had two little boys, and, and she shot the dog. And, you know, and it's it's just, you look at something like that, and she's beautiful. And, and, and it was such a typical story. You know, she was a she was a somebody, and then her career kind of failed, and she her relationship wasn't healthy. And <clears throat> I want to say something about drugs and alcohol here. What we find often is that a lot of people self-medicate with, you know, I'm not going to name brands, but antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and, and alcohol. And this is a very, I mean, it's such, and, and weed and other things, ecstasy, especially <clears throat> right now, this is, suicide's probably, I think it's the third, I can't believe it, I really would think it's the first, but I think it's the third cause of, like, uh, leading cause of death among teenagers. And there's so many um, college students and high school students out there right now taking taking drugs and drinking serious liquor where, you know, when we were in college, people did beer and wine. Now they're doing shots, you know, and they're drinking vodka and they're drinking tequila and they're, they're doing ecstasy and they're taking Xana, bars And, you know, and by the way, I want to say Xanax can be a very useful drug when it's used minimally by someone with panic attacks. I think it's one of the best drugs out there, but it's being misused by some of these kids along with a lot of other medications. And, and so if you, if you suspect that your teenager or your college student, if you know if they're slurring their words or you can tell they're not themselves or they're staying up till four in the morning and sleeping in till five in the afternoon, then something's going on. And, and the problem with that is you may have a, a, a healthy, uh, emotionally healthy teenager who, because they're using, okay, ends up in a very bad place emotionally and psychologically. And then because of their anxiety and depression related to the drugs and alcohol abuse, they take their life. So, you know, this is a very, very delicate, delicate uh, subject that we're talking about here. And, and Mindy McCready was a beautiful example of that. You know, they think that a huge part of her problem was that she, it was drugs and alcohol. They put her in rehab for 18 days, I believe, don't quote me. And she walked out. Who's going to be helped in 18 days? Okay. Um, that's part of the broken system as well. You know, for one thing, these rehab centers Many of them are extremely expensive, twenty-five to forty thousand a month. They're not covered by insurance. Who can afford that? And even if you can, who's really going to be helped in a month? And and that's where the whole system needs to change. You know, until we embrace mental illness the way we embrace cancer, we're going to have a problem in our society. And these violent acts of crime against people themselves and others are going to continue. Yes. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying and, and what you're um, mentioning about, you know, you could be healthy, but if you use these things for recreation and you start misusing them and abusing them, that's going to put you on a path and it's a downward spiral and it's hard to come back. Well, and, and we've level. been in a very, very difficult period in our country and in our world in the last four years. And suicide is the number one cause of death in the military. All these people are coming back and, and taking their lives because they just don't know how to cope. How to cope. And they're mm -hmm. depressed from being there. 
and and then also you know in in men like i said in people over 65 it's also the number one cause of death because they feel helpless and hopeless and they don't have the health care coverage that they used to have maybe they don't have the financial wherewithal they used to have and and we see a whole different onset of suicide among people who don't have money. And you'd be surprised that the states where the suicide rates are the highest are the lower income states because these families, imagine a mother who has, you know, two teenagers and they're out there drinking and taking drugs and she doesn't even have health insurance or a husband. How is she supposed to manage that seven, that angry 17-year-old who might be managing his own anger with medication and alcohol? So it's, it's a really complicated issue, but um, I want to speak to people who have survived the loss of a loved one. And if you're a parent of teenagers who've lost their father, or if you're a teenager who's lost your parent, um, and I know so many people that have lost their parents lately. I mean, it's just my my friends have met so many people that they're, they're mothers or fathers. And by the way, suicide is more common in men than women. I think it's about 70% men, by the way. And and shooting themselves is the most common way, and there is a lot of talk right now about gun control. And yes, it would be a great idea to not allow people with a history of mental illness to buy a gun. But the truth is, if a 35-year-old guy wants to go out and buy a gun illegally and shoot himself, he's going to be able to do it in 10 minutes. It's really about treating the mental illness. That's really what right. we need to right. do. And if you're someone who has lost someone to suicide, um, I do have a, a five-step uh, program that we can talk through if you want to um, for moving beyond it. Yes, absolutely. The first stage you're going to go through is emotional disengagement, and it's normal and it's necessary, and it's your mind's way of stepping back and assessing the situation and trying to get a grip on it. You need to give yourself permission to, to disengage emotionally, and that's when we talked about you take things one minute at a time one hour at a time and get support, medical support from your doctor. Like I said, if you need to take medication um, that's monitored, spiritual support, get emotional support from your friends or a therapist, watch your use of alcohol intake and don't make any changes or decisions at this time at all. And then the second stage you're going to go through is depression, anxiety, and negative futuristic thinking. And that's when you need to find someone that you can talk to and vent with and worry with. It's extremely important that you find this person. It can be just a good girlfriend that you can sit because when you're anxious, you want to talk constantly. And you need to accept that you're afraid and anxious. It's part of the process. And then get out and distract yourself. You know, I remember my brother-in-law came out and we would just take the dog and go for a walk every day. I didn't want to do it, but I needed to do it. And he would, I mean, he would let me talk and talk and talk and talk. And then good friends would come and take me to dinner. And I, would, I wore this big cowboy hat and I hid, but at least I was out of the house. I just couldn't sit there by myself and worry. And then I would get on, I would go online and I'd do research about what, you know, what I was going through and, and the things that I had to deal with and the financial situation I was in. And I got financial advice when I could from friends that could help me out. And I was just in such overwhelm and, and overload. And then the third stage you're going to go to is an acceptance stage where you begin to talk from a place of understanding your reality and accepting what's different about your life. And this is when it's a really good time to talk to other people who've made it through something very similar, like maybe they've lost a loved one to suicide and get help and advice from people like professionals and, and friends who can help you start to plan your life 
if, it, if you're going to be a single parent or a single woman or maybe you have to change jobs or move, now is the time to start making plans for that. And the fourth phase is rebuilding, where you start taking some plans of action for this new future for yourself. And you might even find, find as I did, new friends who are going to support this new now and, and still keep the old friends that are good for you and begin to take baby steps to move forward to changing your life now. So maybe you do want to, you know, change your looks a little bit, maybe lose weight and, and do something different with your hair and, you know, start to empower yourself so that you feel better about yourself. This is a healthy thing to do. And then the fifth phase is the, the new normal for you, where you begin to understand and accept this new life, who you're going to be now without this person in your life or without this experience that you're grieving over. And I think it's extremely important at this phase to live in the moment and always, you know, operate from a, pro a place of gratitude. And mm -hmm. it's extremely important to eat and exercise in a way that's healthy for you. And every day appreciate how far you've come since the tragedy happened and how well you're managing your life. And then understand that time heals and you have to give yourself and your family time to heal. That's so important. And, and I encourage you, if you're out there listening, to go to my website. If you can sign up for this, this webinar this Saturday, if you can't, there will be another one, but they're free. And I'm going to go through these steps of, of recovery and provide you with some, just some pretty good free tips. It's at lucindabassett-truthbetold.com. And the book's available at barnesandnobleoramazon.com. Yes, such great information. And I know for me, when I lost my friend through suicide, I stayed in grief for a very long time. And I think subconsciously it was because it was my testament to loving him. And then I finally realized I have to make a choice here. He chose to no longer be here. Am I going to make that choice or am I going to really choose to put both feet in this human experience and live? Once that bubbled up to my conscious mind, I made the choice to live and really dig in and, and do the best I can with what's left of my life as my well, testament to him. That's such an important point. And, um, and what I did, Tammy, and what I still do, like, you know, after I lost my husband, then shortly after I lost my brother, and I'd already lost my other brother and my sister and my father. And shortly after I lost my brother, I had to sell my company. And then eight months later, I lost my mom. And, and my mom and my, I mean, I was so close to her. I was devastated. And if I can get through that, and, and what I do now is I'll be out getting a, a latte and I'll say, Mom, this is for you because she loves lattes, you know. And I'll be out doing something with my son, Sammy, and I'll say, like, I'll say David, this is for you because he would oh, love whatever, love you know. That. And so I, I do these experiences and I, I know it's something my sister would have loved to do or David would have loved to do or, you know, and, and I'll say this is for you. So, you know, in honor of them, you need to live well. And that's what you owe them. And, and you also, if someone committed suicide in your life, remember them. Go out on their birthday, have dinner, toast to them, talk about them, yes. have pictures of them, and remind your children of the good things about them because their life was worth celebrating. And their journey, their journey was to choose when they left. And unfortunately, you were part of the journey, and there is a lesson there for you. And maybe, you know, I'm not sure what the lesson is, but for me, it was how do I live with being alone? How do I take more responsibility for myself financially? And those have been two huge, you know, um, growing experiences for me. And I'm, I've, I'm really amazed. You know, I've turned everything around. 
and I'm I'm still alone, and it's been five years, and you know I've got two new books have come out, and I, you know I've managed to save the family home, and and I've, you know I, I've really done an incredible job, and it's all in the book. So if you're looking for a really inspirational story. Um, and you just need some help and hope because you've been through something challenging or you just want a great read, pick up, pick up the book, truth be told. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you do sound so, so solid. So I'm pretty solid, you know, yeah, I'm, you and believe like me, that. I'm not perfect. And my children are doing great. My son still really struggles with it. You know, my daughter's older and she's more like me. I think my son is more like his father and he, he took it all very, very, very personally and he has his moments, I'm not going to kid you, when he really struggles with it all. And I have my moments. I'm sitting here right now looking at a picture of David and I and a picture of David and Sammy up on my, you know, cabinet. And it's really hard. You know, June 7th is coming up, and I, I just want to vomit, you know, at the thought of it. And I I just, but yet, you know, I'm getting through it, and I'm I'm not only surviving, but I'm thriving. And so if I can help anybody or touch anybody with this book, then, then I've... I've served, it's served its purpose, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I want to touch on something that, that uh, you've taught about, you teach about, you brought it up in your five-step healing process, and that is the quality of anxiety, stress anxiety. Um, so many millions of people struggle with this. I remember struggling with it intensely for years, and I watched a video that you have on your website that that really put it in a nutshell for me. And I'd not thought about it this way before. It's energy. It's energy. And there's, there's things we can do with this energy. There's ways we can channel this energy. And, and can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. And that's, that's the book that I wrote from panic to power. It was an international bestseller. It's in like six different languages. And it's where I said, look, if you're anxious, there's nothing wrong with you. In fact, there's a lot right with you. You're very intuitive. You know, you're highly intellectual. You're a thinker. You're creative. You've got a vivid imagination. You're an anticipator. You're always anticipating the future. The problem is, is you take all that creative anticipatory energy and you turn it inward and start what if thinking, you know, what if I'm dying? What if I'm going to have a heart attack? What if I get sick? What if I embarrass myself? And if you can turn that anxious energy outward where it belongs, you can make your dreams come true. And that's what I teach people to do. And, and that's a program um, that, I, that I offer that, that, that's really effective. And I do that in my coaching programs. But don't let anxious energy scare you. What you need to do is learn to use anxious energy and even the energy of stress proactively instead of reactively. When you use it reactively, you do what you've always done and you're going to get the same results. You react with worry or you react with anger or you react with panic. When you step back and decide to react proactively, then you stop and think, huh, what am I upset about? What's the end result? How can I put together a plan of action so that I get what I want instead of what I don't want? And it's called proactive living, and that's something that I teach. And there's a lot, there's a lot more about that if you go to my uh, website as well. So anxious people aren't bad people. In fact, they're pretty special. They're sensitive, smart, creative mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. with a vivid imagination. They just need to learn how to redirect that energy outward where it belongs so they can go after some of the things they want and get them. Absolutely. I know that was so true for me as I struggled with my <clears throat> panic attacks and anxiety and, and uh, thoughts of suicide. Um, I actually took an art class because I thought it would just be fun. And I, I really feel on some levels it, it um, changed my life. It may have saved my life. It transformed. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. That absolutely. Energy. And I, 
you know, I had a lot of um, secrets. I had a lot of, uh, you know, things in the closet. And as I allowed myself to paint with a lot of reds and blacks, I felt like it was actually purging me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So, and secrets are never good. Secrets are bad. Okay, secrets suck. I mean, I just—that's <laughs> just the truth. Okay, and and it's 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 about your own integrity with yourself. Mm. So, if there's something that you're harboring, that you share it with someone, share it with a girlfriend, share it with your minister, share it with your therapist. But holding something in that you feel bad about, or that you or that makes you feel bad, that some deep, ugly, dark secret. You know, I've heard everything, and and. I've, and I, I don't have any secrets anymore, and I'm so glad. And that's one thing, you know. Everything's out of the closet, so to speak. So yes. I am who I am. Take me or leave me. And I'm not perfect, and I come with a little bit of baggage, but so does everybody else. And oh, my yes. family's not perfect, but neither is yours. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but I'm a good person, and I'm a giver, and I've got a lot to give and share. And if somebody would have told me five years ago, and I say this in the book, that I would have been, that I would have written a book about this and I would have had something to give. I would have said, absolutely not. I never will. And I never would. And I have nothing to give. And, and look at this book. It's a beautiful testament to the power of being giving and sharing. And believe me, somebody out there would, 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 would want to hear whatever it is that you're afraid to share. And they probably relate on many, many levels, you know, for those of you that are listening. So, so I hope you'll visit my website. Um, Again, I'll just give it again. It's Lucinda Bassett-truthbetold.com or pick up the book, Truth Be Told, a memoir of success, suicide, and survival. So amazing. So I know you used to consider yourself a fixer. Where are you with that notion at this point? Well, I I was a fixer who needed fixing. (laughs) (laughs) And I talk about that in my book. And now I'm, I'm a fixer who... I don't need fixing anymore. I think I've, I've done a pretty good job of fixing myself. Am I perfect? No, but, but I'm a lot different. I'm coming from a place now. The interesting thing is now, you know, I kind of had this anxiousness where I just needed to fix people. I needed to be busy. I needed, I needed to be, you know, in positive pursuit of something. I needed to be passionate about something. And now, you know, I don't, I don't, part of it might be age, but I think the other part of it is just, I'm, I've calmed down. You know, there's nothing to prove to anybody. Um, this, this book works great, and if it doesn't, then I tried. You know, if it helps one person, that's fine with me. I'm going to continue. I, what I'm doing now is I coach people for anxiety and depression associated with challenge, change, and loss, and I, I'm doing some speaking. But other than that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just calm my life down a little bit and enjoy my adult children, and my dog just had puppies, and, you know, so... <laughs> I'm I'm living in the moment more, and that's yeah. that was a huge thing for me to get my head around that and just really enjoy living in the moment. Yes, and what I hear from what you're saying is that you really kind of settled into this place of self-acceptance and began to love yourself unconditionally, and I think that is the most healing thing that we can do for ourselves and right. for, for, for others. I agree. I'm going to have to run, though, because I have to get on another radio interview. You are amazing. Well, I am so happy to have had this conversation with you, Lucinda. Well, thank you Such so much for interviewing me, Tammy. It's It's been a real pleasure, and you're a really cool woman, and uh, <laughs> I'm just excited that you're helping me get the message out. It's very mutual. God bless you on your okay. path, and just keep up the amazing work. You're in my All heart, right. sweetie. All right. All right. Thanks for your time. All right. You thanks. bet. Thank you. Bye, Bye for now. Right. Bye. So to my listeners, I, I know that you've gotten some value from this, and if you've experienced any kind of... Um, hurt, pain, loss, you can, of course, get a hold of Lucinda. I'm also available 
to you if you have questions, comments. I have a guided meditation on my website that is really about relaxing and finding your center. You can find um, that on my website, Tammy B PhD at gmail.com. That's T-A-M-M-I-B-P-H-D at gmail.com. And I think, you know, if I could give you any kind of support or advice or information right now, it's just be be gentle with yourself. Take some time to nurture yourself. Do what's fun and follow your joy. It's like when I was speaking with Lucinda, some of the most healing things that I did for myself is I was in deep struggles, was just checking in what would bring me joy right now? What would honor me right now? And I found myself painting and creating. And I thought it was a waste of time where in fact, following my joy, or as Joseph Campbell would say, follow your bliss, really set me um, on a path going a very, very different direction. And I healed any notion of being a starving artist. And today I teach painting classes. I teach art for healing classes. I sell my artwork and um, my life is gentle. It's beautiful. It's sweet and it's profound. And I know that you have the capacity to also live a, a fulfilling, happy life as well. So again, I would love to connect with you if you're on Facebook. I love Facebook and um, love connecting with my friends there, my listeners there. And if you go on there, that is Tammy Balashevsky, T-A-M-M-I. B-A-L-I-S-Z-E-W-S-K-I. Let me again know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and if I can support you in any way. So let me just invite you to take a nice, deep, healing, cleansing breath and center your awareness in your heart. And consider what you would like to claim for yourself right here, right now. And just know in that quiet moment where you've just set your intentions and claimed what it is you want, know that I am sending you love, compassion, respect, and empowering your intention. You're not alone. You have so much available to you. You have so many healers, teachers, seen and unseen that are available to you. There's so much love for you. If we can remember that, that opens the door to miracles, to prosperity, to joy. And for me, um, the process has been really about opening my heart and mind to living heaven on earth. And it is available to me, to you, to anyone that really wants it. We just have to say yes and be able to receive it. So thank you again for spending some time here today on Journey to Center, this very powerful edition of Journey to Center with Linda, Lucinda Bassett. And take care of yourself. Love from my heart to yours. God bless. Bye for now. Bye.